Well, good morning. It is uh, it's good to see you all uh, today. The sun did come out. I, I wasn't sure uh, when I when I pulled the trailer in this morning at seven thirty uh, if it was going to be another gloomy day or not. But um, I don't know about you. It's been a been a crazy week. Um, but before I get to that, the uh, if you're new, I want to especially welcome you. I'll be at the welcome table following the service. Would love to say hi. Uh, just connect with you briefly. Uh, also, if there's if any of you regular folks, because I like regular folks too, not just new people, um, you can pop by if there's anything uh, I can do for you or uh, just if I haven't said hi in a while. Um, but this week's been a crazy week, right? Uh, just feeling it in so many different ways. We, uh, the, the storm that came through the other night uh, actually took a tree and a power line out on our street. We live on a dead-end street. We were on the wrong end of the dead-end street. And so uh, for about two days, there were power lines and uh, stretched across our road. There was no getting out. Um, and so even as, uh, as Molly was talking about community and how we need each other, uh, we had some people kind of sneak in uh, food to us through the back way. We had no power, uh, so we couldn't cook. Um, and, and most importantly, someone brought us coffee. Um, so, uh, but this is just community, right? This is just people uh, walking together when, you know, we didn't demand that people bring us stuff, but like when, when uh, you're in a community and we he- you hear about someone going through something else, whether, it, you know, a, a family member passing away or whether it's uh, being trapped at the end of, <laughs> on your street with no power, uh, th- we step up, we love each other, we care for each other. And it's because we are, human beings need community. Um, it's the first, the first negative words in the Bible are in Genesis 2.18, and it says, uh, it is not good that the man should be alone. We were made for connection. We're made for family connections. We're also made for community connections. We're made to walk together with other people in life. Uh, and as a matter of fact, unity is, uh, and community is so powerful. Uh, when we see it happen, when we see people really come together to do something together, it moves us. It has, a, has an effect on us. It inspires us. And yet we live in a world of so much division, right? Uh, families break down, uh, friends divide, our culture is divided, especially among, among uh, ethnic lines and sort of subcultural lines. Even uh, though, you know, I, I have to say I, I, was, I was a little naive. I just thought that we as America were just broken and it's the rest of the world that had it together. But you can go to pretty much any country on earth and you'll find a group of people who hate another group of people. Because they look different, they act different, they come from another tradition or culture. Um, and so it's, it's a very common thing across humanity. And unfortunately, even churches today are divided. Uh, some are divided over legitimate biblical issues, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, whether uh, the Bible is, has an authority over us. But more often, I look across our culture and I look across uh, our nation, and I see Christians and churches divided over secondary issues. It's not a big deal anymore, but for years, uh, music style was huge. Uh, what we did this morning would have sent some little old ladies running out of the back door, right? Um, because they, they grew up with piano or organ, and they couldn't stand the idea that these types of instruments would be used in worship. And then even some people who like these instruments are like, we can't ever do anything with a piano or organ. That's so old school, and so there's no space in, in the church. There's divisions over music style, over political positions, even over the color of the carpet. I'm not joking, true story. A friend of mine has firsthand knowledge that uh, a church he knew of out west uh, was putting in a new fellowship hall, and they were putting in carpet, and I don't know why, uh, they didn't just put down tile, but they're putting in carpet, and, and one group wanted red carpet, and one wanted, group wanted blue carpet, and it literally split the church. 
Um, so people, uh, churches divide over um, things that really are not central. We lose focus. When we lose focus of the gospel as the central reason why we're unified, then those secondary issues become primary things. We start assuming that we know someone else's perspective or experience, and we give no space for humble interaction. We refuse to believe other people's uh, perspectives or knowledge or journey or experiences uh, can, can gain, uh, help us in any way. We have it all figured out, and there's no time or space to change my mind. And when that happens, I don't have the humility to admit that I might not be right. Right? Once, you, once you've built your battle lines up and you're, you know, you've, you've bolstered up your position, then there's very little space. You have to be an unusual person to humbly receive correction. We have a vested interest in making sure our position is not questioned. Listen, we, we all across this room feel the weight, just like this city and the world. Every person feels the weight of divisions among humanity. And the Bible teaches that these divisions are rooted in sin. Um, but the problem is we're powerless to change our sinful nature. Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. And if you want to go ahead and flip there, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 verse 11 and following today. Um, but we've already seen how, how uh, our sinful nature, which um, we're born into this world with, uh, is, is something we can never fully overcome on our own. And yet the good news is today that it's not about us uh, unity, it doesn't happen. Uh, healing doesn't happen. People don't come together in the church through trying harder. It's not something we attempt and we pull ourselves together and we figure out how to be together. It is that Christ has done something to fundamentally change us individually and inherently and creates a unity that we then seek to live out and, and appropriate in our lives. This uh, passage, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16, but 11 through 22, if you look in your notes or your journal Bible uh, or look at your actual physical Bible, this is one section, 11 through 22. We're dividing in half because we, it, it's so rich. Uh, one commentator suggested this may be the, the deepest, most profound uh, uh, passage in the New Testament on the nature of the church, what the church is about. And so uh, this week, we're just going to look at verses 11 through 16. And then next week, we'll, we'll read the rest. But if you are new, or if you haven't been around for a few weeks, we're walking through the book of Ephesians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, written about 10 years after he had helped plant a church in the Roman city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he had helped get that church going. It was a wealthy city. It was a culturally diverse city. Um, it was uh, a city with a lot of pagan practices. Uh, it was mostly Gentile, so non-Jewish city. Um, and it's, um, it, God was moving there and moved there, and people began to believe the gospel. And, they, and the, the book of Ephesians is about, chapters 1 through 3 is about believing the gospel, and then chapters 4 through 6 is about living the gospel out. So even as you see, read today, there won't be a lot of um, uh, commands for you and I. There are descriptions of what Christ has done, what God has done. And then so it's about us being oriented to that. It's about us being rooted in that. And so uh, Ephesians 1 was largely about the cosmic blessings God's given us. Chapter 2 is about the process uh, whereby we were dead and we are made alive in Christ. And that's a gift of grace, not by our works. And we get it. We gain that grace through faith, through belief. And then out of that, God gives us good works to do in this world. And that's how verse 10 ends, right before we begin verse 12. So as we are verse 11. So as we read 11 through 16, 
If you've got your journal Bible, you might want to just start marking the uh, relationship language that's here. A relationship between us, relationship between God and us. Look at verse 11. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So three words today to kind of to guide our, our, our um, look at this passage. Separation, reconciliation, and unification. So uh, I'm a pastor, uh, went to seminary, so they teach us to alliterate or use words. I couldn't find any of the all alliterated, so I just came up with shun words uh, to use. But separation, reconciliation, unification. Separation, we're separated from God and from each other. Reconciliation, we're reconciled through Christ to God and to each other. And then the actual a concrete unification that happens out of that. So let's talk about separation from each other and Christ. Paul says in uh, verse 11, he begins with the word, therefore, which if you've been around Koa, I tell you, once you see the word, therefore, you ask what it is. Therefore, very good. See, I love, love my class. Um, no, the word therefore, when it shows up in scripture is about something before. So if you're reading even what I just read a moment ago, you should go, okay, what does he mean, therefore? I, don't, I didn't begin my sermon with therefore, right? You'd be like, what do you mean therefore? There's some, you must have said something else. So Paul is referring back to verses 1 through 11, being dead uh, in our sin, being made alive in Christ, being, uh, being saved by grace through faith and given good works to do. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what uh, is called the circumcision, circumcision, which is made the flesh in the flesh by hands. So he's asking them to remember, to think back. Now, uh, Paul, when he planted the church in Ephesus and he helped, there's questions whether he was the only person planting. So I say he helped plant the church. Uh, in Ephesus, he began in the synagogue. He began preaching to the Jews that lived in this city, this Roman city of Ephesus. Was not the majority of the population, was a very small group of people. Paul began there because he was a Jew and he had been trained uh, in rabbinic, in the rabbinic law. So he knew how to enter those spaces and begin to preach to those people, trying to show them how Jesus is the Christ from the Old Testament. But um, but it quickly grew outside of the synagogue and began to expand among the Gentile population. And then by the time Paul had written this letter, the Gentile, uh, Gentiles were the vast majority of the city and they were the vast majority of the church. Now, to be clear, the, the difference between Jews and Gentiles, Jews were not one, one race and Gentiles another race. Jews were, were one group of people, God's group of people, beginning with Abraham in the Old Testament um, and and uh, established the worship of God in the land of God under the under the, their king God. Um, everyone else is Gentiles. Everyone. So I doubt we probably have any Jews in here today. Uh, pure one hundred percent Jews. My my wife's grandfather's Jewish, but 
Uh, I don't think we have any 100% Jews today. So we're, we're all Gentiles, um, which helps us to understand uh, that this applies to us uh, to, to a very real sense. But there was a lot of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Paul literally refers to it, <laughs> pardon the, the, the graphic language, but Jews and foreskins. That's what he says in the Greek. It's very graphic, but Paul's wanting to point to the hostility. That was a, that was a term that Jews used to refer to Gentiles. Um, and, and there was a deep divide between these ethnicities. The Jews, as I said, were the people of God. Um, and Paul actually calls out their pride here by referring to the, those that call themselves, quote, the circumcision, which is our Jewish people. And he says, um, which is made by, in the flesh by hand. So, so he's, so Jews had the mark of circumcision as a, as a mark of being the people of God. And what Jews had done has begun, had begun to boast in this. Look how awesome we are, uh, you know, how much greater we are than Gentiles. And, and, and uh, Paul is saying, listen, um, on this side, you use that language of, of Gentiles, you call them a term. Well, I'm calling you something else here. Because it's not fundamentally about physical circumcision that makes you a, 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 in God's family. It is about a heart of faith. Um, that is following God and worshiping God and believing that God will provide. Um, and so there's a lot of, of um, conflict here. And in verse 12, he emphasizes um, to, the, to, to us that what the Gentiles were, that what we were, in essence. Look at the language here in verse 12. So we, are, we were separate from Christ. That is, we were not part of God's people. We were not, the Messiah did not come to the Gentiles first. Jesus came to the Jews. So we were a part separate from Christ. This is the opposite of a new state in Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel, meaning we had no rights or privileges. We couldn't go in and demand to worship God and have the right to be able to um, receive um, the, 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 the blessings of God. That brings us to the third, foreigners to the covenants of the promise. None of the promises given to Abraham and to uh, Jews in the Old Testament we're carried over to Gentiles. We just don't get them. We are separated. We're foreigners to those concepts, uh, to those covenant promises. We were without hope. We had no access to God at all. Uh, could only expect his judgment. And we were without God in this world. Literally the word atheos, which is where we get our word atheist from. So basically, Gentiles, those who did not even were not even part of God's people, were, at, were as if there was no God in this world. We had no hope. We were foreigners. We were excluded. We were separate from God. Paul acknowledged that in this, there was a dividing wall of hostility between the people. So it wasn't just that the Gentiles were separate. It is that there was a hostility, this deep lying hostility. In fact, in, if you went to, the, uh, to the, the temple in Jerusalem during Jesus' time, there was a sign on the wall that we've found evidence of today that said, quote, no Gentiles. And, if a, and it actually warned, if a Gentile went past this point, you're taking your life into your own hands. You're, we are not responsible for your death. And so it was, it was not just a, a idea of hostility between people. There was a physical wall. Where, where Jews said, no, you don't get to come in here. You don't get to be near God. But don't think that just Jews have walls of hostility. We all have our own walls. Seriously, we build our own walls of, of those who are in and those who are out. Those, those who are in are good and those who are out are bad. And we define that. Even in our 
city, our town of Brookline. Read this recently, 19th century, there was a law on the books in Brookline. Could not sell property, if you own property in Brookline, you could not legally sell it to a black person or an Irish person. So there was, yeah, if you didn't know this, there was Irish racism in Boston, in this town that we live in. So there were, it, it may not have been a wall, but it was a wall, wasn't it? It was hostility. It was division. We don't just create divisions around race, though. We make a certain amount of money, and, and that makes us better than other people, right, who don't make as much. We, we got certain uh, scores, uh, SAT scores, and got into certain schools, and, and people who didn't get in, they're outsiders. They didn't reach our level. We live in a big city. And if I've learned anything, I went from living in a town of 3,500 people in Louisville, Kentucky in 2008, actually moved up today, 13 years ago. Um, I remember because it was Halloween. Yes. We're, yes. Um, now, here's, here's the crazy thing. One of the things I've realized, and some of you are from small towns too, is that there's a real animosity in big, city, uh, in big cities against small town people. Just, let's just face it, they just don't get it, right? They're just not as smart, just not as informed, just not as capable. And listen, I've lived in both places. And, and I can honestly say God has, God has helped me to like not, not build that animosity, but I see it. I see it in our city. There is animosity, hostility. And Paul is calling for humility here. What's the first word he says uh, after therefore? Remember. Not remember how awesome you are and you're better than everyone else. He says, remember how bad it was for you. Remember who you were, that you, now you belong to Christ, but you were dead, disobedient, and doomed. Verses one through three of chapter two. And then verse nine, Paul says, there's, that's why there's no room for boasting, right? There's no room for boasting in the family of God. There's no one, no matter how far your family was from God as you were growing up, who is born? Who was born a little closer to the kingdom, a few legs up in the kingdom of God? We were all separated, all apart from God. We had a dividing wall of hostility between God, and we had a dividing wall of hostility between us and other people. Literally, it's like bred into us. There's sociologists, anthropologists, psychologists that study all of this that basically say there is something in us that inherently wants to protect our own and, and people who act like us, think like us, whatever, look like us. And there's something inherent in it. And, uh, and, and, and we, we all are born with that. In his book, uh, Bloodlines, John Piper writes uh, about nine things that keep us from working towards social um, connections and overcoming walls of hostility and moving towards racial reconciliation. And here's what he gives. Satan, guilt, Pride, hopelessness, feelings of inferiority and self-doubt, greed, hate, fear, and apathy. The first three alone are pretty big if you, if you look at them. Satan, uh, one of the things about scripture that, that Satan loves to do is divide God's people. Listen, the world is divided. He doesn't need to do a lot of work out there, does he? Right? Like, the world is divided. His focus, then, is the church. Why? Because if he, can, if he can divide the church, we lie about the gospel, don't we? If we learn to hate each other and we build up our little camps and we start lobbing rocks at other gospel-believing Christians, we've let Satan win. We're warned in 2 Corinthians 2.11 about the schemes of the devil. 
And in that particular context, it's about division, about the church dividing. Guilt. Guilt works to further separate through denial, wallowing, and exploitation. Denying, denial that, that hostility, racism exists, or that, a, or that a person has even experienced it. Den, um, wallowing is that, is that walking in self-loathing and, and like servility of um, and, and, and hating of yourself completely because of maybe uh, uh, roots of racism in your, in your culture. Exploitation is when guilt is weaponized then to try to control other people. So guilt's a powerful weapon that keeps us from experiencing real unity. And then finally, pride. And this, man, I see this today. When I assume that I see all, I get it. I got it. I understand I understand all the nuances of this particular area and this particular discussion and this particular division that's there. I see my side. I have built up my walls around my side. I understand things perfectly. How in the world can I be open to listening? How can I be open to loving? And here's what I would argue. How in the world can I actually help my brother just in case I do happen to see truth and I am seeing the truth? How can I actually be humble enough to help my brother see it or sister see it when they don't? It's not by destroying them or getting up on my high horse of how much I know and how much I've got and how much information and how much truth's on my side. You've got none on yours. We, we, we step into waging war like the world against brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would argue we shouldn't be doing it against the world either. But, but in particular, when we divide against brothers and sisters in Christ and we've created a position where we cannot be corrected, pride has taken over. And Satan laughs at us. Now, look around this room right now. Just, just take a quick look around, scan. This is a pretty diverse group. There are hundreds of reasons. Probably, I don't know how many people are in here. There's probably at least several reasons per person. But there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't be in the same room together. There's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't be walking together. A lot of reasons why we shouldn't be caring for each other, supporting each other. Um, there's divisions. We could separate along ethnic lines, along economic lines, along political lines. We could divide among uh, hundreds of different things, right? Reasons. Uh, you might be the only person in the room that looks like you. You have lots of reasons not to be here, right? But the beauty of the gospel is that above all of those things and underneath all of those things is something that holds us together. And I would argue this, the very existence of this church, as imperfect as we are in doing it, is a representation to the world of the power of the gospel to bring people together who shouldn't be together. That gives me hope. Again, not perfect. I know we struggle. I do. But it's a beautiful representation of the reconciliation that Christ brings. And that's the second idea here. And in the face of this separation, this division among people, is reconciliation by Christ. This this gets at the answer, right? The answer, what is the answer to all the, 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 the racism and divisions in our, in our world? I, I'm not against laws, not against trying things, but, but there's basically two, two, uh, two categories on this. One is that humanity tries harder. We just need to try harder and do better, right? As, as Belichick would say, do your job. Do your job as a person, love other people like you're supposed to, you know, welcome people that are different than you. Let's do that. Right, but 
But the one problem with that is, is that we're broken. We, we can't do that. And, and if I do, it doesn't mean that the person who's right next to me who looks exactly like me, who has the exact same culture and background as me, is going to do that, right? We don't have the power. Now, we can push back racism legally in some ways like that. That's good. Not against that. I think that's part of doing justice. But we can't change the human heart. Only the gospel can. So there's really two answers. Only humanity tries harder or God does something. I'm putting my stock in God doing something because I've seen it work. God comes in, does something so radical and so reality altering that all the hostility between people has been broken. That's the cross. Look at verse 13. If you got your, your journal Bible, we, we underlined back in verse four, but God, I want you to circle, but now, <laughs> Because this one's a good, good one too. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The walls of hostility between us and God and between us and each other came down together on the cross. Why? Because they're all rooted in sin. We're separated from God because of sin. We're separated from each other because of sin. Christ redeems us. He cleanses us. He takes that sin away. He reorients our heart. And this is one, a beautiful thing about it. This is the universal problem of humanity, right? That, that all human beings, regardless of ethnic background, uh, culture, whatever, have sin. And we need forgiveness. And the one solution, Paul says, is the substitutionary death of Jesus. He refers here to the blood of Christ. Now, listen, I know that's graphic, right? There's some, it's, it, it's hard for me to even fathom because I know how important it is, but there are some in the church today in more progressive liberal circles that are saying, we need to not speak about this blood anymore. It's, it's this old idea of, you know, there had to be violence or, or, or uh, a death to, for, for forgiveness to happen, and we need to get over that. Um, but, but the point of the blood is how serious sin is. And and the options are, I die in my sin, or Jesus died for my sin. And death is ugly, right? Death's not a beautiful thing. And death on a cross is excruciating. It's horrendous. It, It would make you sick if you watched it. And that's the point. That's our sin. That's what he did with our sin. And Jesus went through that because he loves us, because he loves you. And the beauty is none of us were on the inside. We were all outsiders. There were no good people and bad people. There were no winners or losers. There are all of us who are consigned under death, right? Verses one through three of chapter two again. But through the blood of Christ, Jesus cleanses us and brings us near to God and brings us into his family. Every race and ethnicity, every class and subgroup, people get to God through Jesus. He is, Paul says, He himself is our peace, our peace with God and peace with each other. The only way, and I would argue, you can have peace with other people, but the only way to have eternal peace is to have an eternal Savior. The only way to experience peace that cannot be broken by anything in this world is peace in Christ. And this is the beauty of the gospel. It's growing. It's this diverse global movement. It isn't concentrated in any particular 
region. And a lot has changed over the last 120 years. A scholar named Philip Jenkins was coined the phrase, the new global south, referring to the new regions of the world where Christianity is flourishing, especially in South America, Africa, parts of China and India. 120 years ago, the West was the, was the center of Christianity in a lot of ways, but the, not that it wasn't in other places, but it, 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 it was the, we were the missionary sending force. But now there's, there's countries that are sending missionaries to the United States, right? There are countries that are sending, you know, it's, it's crazy. I read where Brazil, I think it's Brazil, is sending more missionaries out than Britain or, or Canada and Canada combined. Brazil, right? The gospel is growing. It's a diverse, beautiful movement. And this is what Christ died for, for people from every tongue and tribe and nation on earth to be reconciled to each other through his death. Therefore, then, third and final point here, unification in Christ. So we have separation from God and each other. We have um, reconciliation through the blood of Christ. And now we have a unity in Christ. I'll be honest. I don't like the word unity here. It worked. Um, (laughs) it's really oneness. Unity, people get unified around lots of things, right? Uh, My daughter Sarah's home from from Baylor this weekend, Um, so we turned on the Baylor game. There was a little unity happening watching the Baylor football game yesterday. People were unified. People unify around interests. People unify around hobbies, around work. People unify. There's unity, but there's but, but that, is it deep? It's, it's not the same thing. We're not coming together because we all like Jesus, right? I'm not here. I'm not inviting people to hear. I didn't establish this church for fans of Jesus. That's not the point. And I would argue if we're all fans of Jesus, it's going to fail at some point when Jesus starts offending us and we start offending each other. So it's not about being fans of Jesus. It's about that Jesus has made us one through his death. He has broken down the wall of hostility. What's awesome is that temple sign that separated the court of the Gentiles from the Jews, where the Jews worship. Um, that actually got destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. But many years earlier, decades earlier, Jesus on the cross broke down the real wall of hostility between people. Look at verses, the language of verses 14 through 16. If you have your notes you you have your journal you can circle the word one every time it shows up it's multiple times here for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that's a lot of the old testament law there um separating jews and, and gentiles that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both in god in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Anybody get that point there? I mean, he says it three times, doesn't he? Three separate times in those two verses, he's saying he has made us one. Unity happens in Christ. I want to say this. I'm not Again, I, I'm, I'm for good, just laws. We ought to always pursue just laws and laws that, that stop racism and classism and uh, discrimination in various ways. I think those things are good. But the vision of Christianity is not about stopping racism. Stopping, stopping, racing, uh, stopping people from being racism just means they can be in the room together without hating each other. That's not unity. That doesn't mean we're one. Christianity has a bigger vision 
of bringing, reconciling people together, uniting people together, and listen to this language, as brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of everything in the world that could divide us. That's a crazy vision, isn't it? I don't, there's nothing in this world that can do that. Why? Because it changes Christ, changes the human heart. Verse 15, he says it's, he creates a new man or a new humanity is really what he's saying, a new humanity. And the, the Greek have two words for new. One is a new version, like the iPhone 13, right? That's just a new version, looks similar to iPhone 12. It's got a few upgrades, a little different. So it's a new version. This word new that's used in this passage refers to an all new kind, like one unseen before. We are one in Christ. It is inherent to being made alive in Christ. But, <laughs> here's, the, here's the but. The challenge is, just like you, if you're a Christian, you have everything that's been given to you in Christ is available to you right now. The fullness of the spirit, joy, peace, all of that is fully yours in Christ today at this very moment. You, however, have to grow in it. Right? We, have to, we have to press into it. We have to mature in it. And so that's what the oneness is. We don't work and go, let's work towards that unity. It's we have the oneness in Christ. It's already been given to us. Christ has purchased us. And whether you think it or not or feel it or not or whatever your thoughts on it are, there, are, there is a fundamental unity between every Christian in this room right now and every Christian that has ever existed on in any corner of this planet. A oneness. And this is what Paul is, is uh, it's hard to live it out though, which is why Paul, just a couple chapters later, and we'll get to it, but I wanted to read it today because this, the language is so great here. Ephesians 4, verses one through six. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now listen to what he calls for. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of the peace, a bond of peace, not to get the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, but to what? Maintain it, meaning it's there already and only we can disrupt it through sin. So what does he say then? He reminds us there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father over all who is of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul had to say this because we as Christians can get divided. I don't know if you knew that. Kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but we can get divided. What's the grounds for us coming back together again? Well, he says, have humility and gentleness, patience, bear with one another in love. And then he appeals to what? Fact that we are already one. We are one. So let's live it out. We all need to grow in this area. I need to grow in this area. Even in the New Testament, you can see this, uh, the, the need for this. Every person in this room needs to grow in this area of understanding and living out what it means to be unified with others in the family. Paul, at one point in the book of Galatians, he talks about he had to rebuke Peter. For racism. Now, let's, let's back up on that. Peter, Jesus' best friend. Peter, who, uh, who was uh, the preacher at Pentecost. He preached to, by the way, 
people from all the nations were there in Jerusalem. He preached the gospel to them, saw them saved, was part of being seeing them get baptized. Peter, who in Acts 10 got a vision by God to go visit a guy named Cornelius, a Gentile who he wasn't supposed to even eat with, according to Old Testament law, went into his home, ate with him, preached the gospel, baptized him and his family. And then Peter went back to Jerusalem, representing to the Jerusalem council of Jewish Christians, including James, and said, hey, you know what? God's moving among these Gentiles. There's crazy things happening. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. But in Antioch, Paul says, uh, we were hanging out and Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, having some bacon. And then some Jews from, from Jerusalem came. And you know what Peter did? took a big step back from fellowship with his brothers and sisters in Christ because of some deep inherent division in his heart between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul had to rebuke him. I would argue this. We all need that. I'm gonna throw a couple questions on the screen as we close in prayer. But I, I just wanna challenge you. Have, you. have you had hostility in your mind toward other people? Talk about those people, those people who don't think like you do, those people who don't agree with your position on this or that or the other. Do you think about people in those terms? Do you think about brothers and sisters in Christ in those terms? Have you allowed pride to sneak into your heart? And then secondly, have you made space in your life for people who aren't like you? One of the, it's, maybe scripture speaks about it. I'll have to do a little more study on it. But I think one of the most um, obvious rules about all of this is that we will always drift towards homogeneity. You will always drift towards the mirror. You'll drift towards people who think like you, look like you, act like you. You do. We, it's just inherent. There's something built into us as human beings. We feel more comfortable when we don't have to stretch culturally or or ethnically, or, or in any ways, uh, it, it just, it's easier, right? It's easier. And I get that. Now, I'm not saying don't hang out with anyone like you. That's terrible. It's a sin. No, they're brothers and sisters in Christ too. I'm just saying it's always going to be easier to hang out with those people than it is to create space in your life for people who are different than you. That's the stretch. But that's where the gospel begins to be revealed to the city outside that looks and goes, you guys shouldn't be together. You should be divided. All these reasons to be divided. You love each other. You work through all your mess together, right? You don't, you don't cancel each other. You don't burn bridges with each other. You build bridges. You work towards reconciliation, even if it's gonna take until Jesus comes back. That's the picture of the gospel. That's, that's when we would be a city on a hill when we could show the larger city that Christ makes all the difference in the world. That's my hope. That's my prayer. We're going to move into our time of response and communion. Um, and I invite you to, if you're a Christian, you can take communion anytime over this next song. And it's the reminder, the body and the blood of Christ, right? We saw that through the blood of Christ, the wall of hostility has been broken down. And so if you answer that question, that first question a few moments ago that you've, you've allowed some pride to get stirred up some those people in your mind and them people and, and look you find yourself elevating yourself looking down on others 
then I would encourage you to just take a few moments and repent of that. Ask God to cleanse you, forgive you. Listen, he knows it. And then go take communion and through that be reminded that you are unified. You are one with Jesus' church. He has done everything that's needed for your salvation, for us to live together as his family. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask you to not take communion over this next song. Um, just it's the one part of the service that's for those who are believers. We want to help you in that journey of faith. And so um, I'll be at the welcome table or you can fill out a connection card and we'll connect you with someone to help you in that journey. Uh, but let's go ahead and all stand together. I'm going to pray and then we can respond together. Lord, I'm aware even in my own heart that at times I am I'm quick to make snap judgments and to and feel superior because of a perspective I have or experience. God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive all of us. Lord, I, I thank you that through your blood, not only are we forgiven, but we are also reconciled and unified and made one with each other. I pray, God, that by your grace, through the power of your spirit, we would be humble, we would be gracious, we would pursue each other and build walls, not or build, build bridges, not walls. We're no longer divided, but unified, no longer hostile, but full of grace. Make us brothers and sisters in Christ fully, Jesus. We need it. We long for it. We look forward to the day in the new kingdom, the new heavens and new earth where there will be no divisions, period. Thank you that you've done it through your blood, Jesus. Amen.